Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook, and the assistant editor of The Mirror, Darren Lewis. As we bring you all the fallout from the Nations League and some of the big domestic transfer news and a couple of rule changes as well. England lack fight at Wolves, Scotland lack fight in Ireland, and the sack is in sight for Northern Ireland boss Ian Barraclough after 14 Nations League games without a victory. Wow. Uh, Nunes is going to Liverpool. Spence looks like he's on his way to Tottenham Hotspur and he might not be the only one. And Aston Villa operating under the radar. Just like us, we've got bundles of talent and so has the Premier League. We'll review all the incomers over the course of the next hour or so on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. There's no point trying to hide it. I am a rough as old boots this morning, no doubt about it. I got in at 4.30 this morning after the soccer aid after party, dancing with my mate Ian Sterling and uh, the Toblerone that he bought me at the airport after flying in from Love Island, which I thought was a nice gesture. He was uh, being very friendly. We've got a bit of a love affair going on. I was busting moves on the dance floor last night, looking like a right dad dancer with Cara and G-Nev and oh, Teddy, Teddy. It was all of us and all these Love Island influencers who looked about 20 years younger than us. We looked really, really over the hill. I hope that was practice for you for our weekend in Portugal because you are notorious for being the first one to leave the party. So if you can party until 4.30 just because Teddy Sheringham is there, you can party until 4.30 in Portugal. <laughs> yeah, but I love Teddy Sheringham. So uh, there's a big difference there, Crook. So. Um, Soccer Aid was great, by the way. I don't know if you watched it on uh, Sunday night. It was great. £15.6 million raised at last check. Um, but let's be honest, I'm living off coffee and sausages and beans this morning. Uh, it could have been more, but I can't count. Uh, Darren, you OK? Yeah, not as good as you. Um, normally, when you have to wear sunglasses the morning after, you've had a really good night. So it sounds as though, yeah, absolutely. The tunes and that thumping bass are still ringing in your ears. <laughs> Mate, everything's still ringing in my ears. Uh, let me tell you this, though. It was definitely more entertaining than the actual England game. That is for sure. Southgate's selection, style and substitutions all subjected to scrutiny right now. Only one way to ease that pressure, do what we wanted to do last summer. To Budapest, Bavaria, Black Country. The Nations League tour continues. There's no better practice for winning matches than by winning matches. Italy working around the corner, Ramsdale comes out, and the shot from Fratesi across the face of goal and wide. Now Mounts hits 
Sterling. Abraham then heads the rebound wide, but it was a wonderful piece of play. Di Lorenzo making an excellent darting run down the right-hand side of the air. Good volley, first time ball in. What a save for Ramsdale. That's a magnificent stop to deny Sandro Tonali. And look for all of the world, zone's going to be 1-0 to Italy. Two opportunities there, uh, Raheem had to turn and attack the opposition. He just held it up. He's done nothing wrong, but I would like to have seen him get turned and travel at speed at the opposition's back line. It's a little bit too safe. James misses it in, and Abraham missed it. Sterling didn't, but missed the goal, and he won't know how. And the referee signals the end of the game. A disappointing evening in many ways as far as England are concerned. Didn't have the cutting edge that they would have looked for. He finishes at Molyneux tonight. England nil, Italy nil. Well, after drawing with Italy, England really do need a win now against Hungary on Tuesday evening. Gareth Southgate side, bottom of the A3 table after three matches, having won none of them and scored just one goal. And that was a penalty from Harry Kane. They're on two points. Hungary, who drew with Germany over the weekend in Budapest 1-1, are in second place. And they are the next opposition for England. Just how important is this game now, Darren, bearing in mind what's gone before? Right now, I am actually going to throw a little spanner in the works because Please I can't do. find to the negativity. I, I, I still can't get annoyed or upset. These games are practice matches for Gareth Southgate to get his preparation right for the World Cup. And we like to kind of get a little bit hysterical for me over the, the England national team, but I would be more concerned with us winning them all by a street and getting carried away and people starting to believe that on the basis of these training exercises, we're going to win the World Cup. This is a, a, These are a sequence of matches for Gareth Southgate to see what works, what doesn't, um, what formations work, what doesn't, what players can cope with the pressure of wearing the shirt and which ones can't. And actually, there were large parts of the weekend game that I liked. I liked the way we passed the ball. I, I liked our confidence in the ball. The fact that with no Harry Kane, everyone wasn't looking for him. Everyone was trying their own things. There were some things that didn't work, of course. But I think overall, I still think there are lots of reasons to be optimistic about the national team. Yeah, I couldn't really understand. Well, actually, that's not true. I could understand why people were feeling as if at the end of the game, it was a bit drab. Because let's be honest, the first... 50 minutes, 55 minutes. It's quite good, really, actually. Both teams had chances. There were opportunities at both ends. I'm not saying that England were particularly brilliant because they conceded a few chances during that period as well. Last half hour of the game, it was a drab affair. It fell off a cliff after about 60 minutes. And I thought, actually, you know, I don't think either team actually created a proper chance during that period. And it did just sort of float away. I think in part down to the number of substitutions that also took place. And it... I'm not happy about five substitution, but we'll talk about that later on. Um, but so actually, they created a quite a few chances, especially in the first half, England, and missed a couple of big chances as well. But I do feel like everything is negative. All the reports are negative. You know, you read the reports, they're negative. Even like the little sidebars, the Sunday Telegraph headline, Tammy Abraham fails audition to be uh, Harry Kane's understudy at the World Cup. The suggestion that international football, you don't get too many chances, he didn't take his... I completely disagreed with that. And I said on Sunday session um, with Scott Minto on Talk Sport that ultimately I thought he, what he'd done with his excellent pressing work during that game, especially in the first half, put Donnarumma under serious pressure in that match that actually 
he'd cemented his place in the England squad with that performance. Bearing in mind, this is a guy who has only played, what, 60, 70 minutes over the course of this Nations League campaign. And he doesn't play that often for England, but 17 goals in Serie A, there's not many players, not many English players that have scored 17 league goals, just league goals this season. In fact, only one, Harry Kane. So I actually thought he did very, very well overall. I think he did as well as can be expected. It's a, it's a difficult situation when you get parachuted in, as you say, for 70 minutes, knowing um, that when the, the tournament comes around, if Harry Kane is fit, you're going to be playing second fiddle. So I certainly don't think he played his way out of contention. I don't buy into the narrative that he failed the audition. I think he did as much as he could. I thought, I agree with Darren. I think England were quite tidy in possession. I think if you're looking for positives, obviously the big negative is the lack of goals. That is a problem. Mm. Um, but the positive is they look defensively resolute. And I think actually Harry Maguire, who's taken a lot of stick over the course of the season, he will take the confidence uh, from this this run of games and, and the run of clean sheets. Clearly is more at home in an England shirt than he is in a Manchester United one at the moment. That's something that Eric Ten Hag has got to solve and got to get to the bottom of. I was pleased for Aaron Ramsdale. A clean sheet for him made one excellent save. I thought James Ward-Prowse looked quite tidy. So, yeah, I think out of all the games they've played so far, I think there were more positives to take out of the weekend than from the first two. One big issue, as Crook's already alluded to, is the fact they don't score enough goals. That is a problem. And it's not necessarily a striking problem. It's others around them. Harry and Rahimi says, Gareth Southgate, uh, get all our goals. The other players have to step into that space. We look dangerous without getting goals in some of the bigger games recently. But he went on to say that he wasn't displeased with the overall performance of the team at all. And he didn't think that they were cautious actually. Um, Sterling did have a cracking, cracking chance, didn't he, in the in the second half. But um, the others do need to chip in with goals, Darren, don't they? How do you solve that problem? Well, I, I think the problem will start to solve itself the more we take a less safety-first approach. The reason why there were, there have been so few goal scorers is because the way the team has been set up has been for either Kane or Sterling, to score. It has been a very conservative approach through the Euros in the World Cup. Uh, in, in practice matches, we're starting to move gradually away from uh, five across the back and starting to unlock what is a very creative midfield. And again, that will solve itself, just as the Maguire situation is solving itself. Because it's funny, when you surround him with players who are actually... Uh, committed and ready to work hard and know their jobs and are organised, you see a different Harry Maguire in that Manchester United shambles where the players basically couldn't wait to get to the end of the season and they had no respect for the manager. Of course, you're going to see a different Harry Maguire. But I think when you have a platform for players to go and express themselves, like we see at Liverpool, like we see at City, um, like to a certain extent we see at Spurs, then you will start to see the goals come. And I think that situation will sort itself out. You say about um, the goals and it will sort itself out. It won't sort itself out with new personnel coming from Manchester United like Sancho or Rashford, uh, despite the fact that England haven't scored from open play in any of their three Nations League games so far. Gareth Southgate was pretty scathing when asked whether or not he thought about bringing them back. He said they have a lot to do to get He's back right. into the squad. And if you've been listening to us, actually, over the course of the last uh, year or so, you would have known that already because, frankly, he has not been impressed, in particular with Marcus Rashford, who he believes actually has not come to England's squads and England duty when he has been fit and 
you know, has said all the right things. I like playing for England, et cetera, et cetera. But then the evidence is, is that he doesn't turn up even when he isn't. Uh, injured. So um, I think there's a lot of work to do to repair that relationship. I, I know Gareth has said he's got to go and speak to him and sit down with him. He said that just before Christmas and then he said it again just before March. But ultimately, you know, I don't think there's much chance of them uh, getting back in the squad before the World Cup now anyway, especially with the performance of Jared Bowen. And I've said consistently, I didn't think he would go to the World Cup. He certainly has put him in put himself in a great position to do so with his performances off the bench uh, for England and uh, from the start. Uh, Luke Shaw also faces a race against time to earn England uh, recall uh, because of his injury issues. But that is a problem position for England, isn't it? The left fullback area. There is a dearth of talent there, Crook. Well, yeah, particularly when you mentioned Luke Shaw's injury record and he didn't have the best of seasons with Manchester United anyway. I'm not sure that his form, uh, even if he was fully fit, would necessarily warrant a call-up. Obviously, you've got Ben Chilwell coming back to fitness at Chelsea. I think if he can get back to where he was at the start of last season, there's an opportunity for him to make that left-back spot his own. I I don't really like using Saka as a left wing-back. I think you negate what he brings at the other end uh, of the pitch. Trippier out of position um, on the left-hand side has proved uh, that he can do a job there. He proved that at the European Championships. They do have options. Bowen's an interesting one because I think he is probably the player whose reputation has been most enhanced by this uh, round of games. Maybe along with somebody who isn't there uh, because the clamour to get James Madison back in the squad, given that lack of creativity, is growing louder on social media. Again, I don't think it will happen. I think he's got a lot to prove to Gareth yeah, Southgate. We we don't have a lack of creativity. What we have is a conservative side that we are now trying to evolve into a side that can make the, the most of all of the attacking players. But think of the players we have with X Factor. You know, Saka, Grealish, Sterling, Bellingham can play in an advanced position. Foden's not even in the squad at the moment. You mentioned Bowen, who likes to make goals. What I would like to see mostly is Kane to stay in the centre-forward position and allow the players around him to create goals for him or maybe take goals themselves. Because I think, who doesn't love Harry Kane? We all love and admire Harry Kane, but he's trying to do too much in some of these matches. Sometimes he is taking shots at goal where really the option is to pass it on to someone else. And so, and we all say, oh, wonderful, Harry Kane, great. But then in the next breath, we bemoan the lack of goals in the team. And I would venture to suggest that if, that Conti's trying to recalibrate the Spurs side so that other players can score goals as well. He's obviously going to bring in Richarlison. We'll do the transfers a bit later. And if he were playing for uh, City or Liverpool, it would not be the case that the team would be solely reliant on him. Mm. And that can't be the case for the England team either. Because if we see, if we recalibrate that front six so that everyone is chipping in, you saw how many goals City scored, 96 in the Premier League. They didn't even have an orthodox centre forward. It can be done. We Mm. just have to move towards doing it. Yeah, I mean, look, Crook is right. You know, there is social media clamour for James Madison. But I think sometimes what people don't understand is, is that it's not championship manager. You can't just throw on all your attacking players and, and that will change 
the game. Actually, you're better off working on combinations with the players that you've used over the course of the last two years with a sprinkling of added extras and they've decided on Bowen coming into the squad rather than Madison. One of the reasons I think Madison gets talked about a lot and I understand it is, is the numbers. Towards the end of the season, 11 goals and eight assists in these last 21 Premier League appearances. But before that, it was one goal and no assist in 20 Premier League appearances. So he did have a purple patch towards the end of the season. He scored in the last four games. Um, but Southgate doesn't fancy him. I'm just going to tell you that now. He doesn't fancy them. And, and, and it's, I think it was a conversation I had with him about a year and a half ago when he said to me, I just don't feel that he is as effective as the other players that we've got in those positions. Now, it may be in a one-off game that you, you could have James Madison and he might be more effective than James Grealish. But there's a reason that James Madison's at Leicester City and Jack Grealish is at Manchester City because actually he is a higher calibre of player on a more consistent basis. I also think, and I don't know this, this is just a guess, I think that there is a personality issue with James Madison mm, where he doesn't always blend with the group, doesn't bring the best out of others in the group. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that that's 100%, but that's just the feeling I get from the conversations that I've had over the course of the last couple of years. And that's not just at, at England, that's with Leicester as well. So I think there is a bit of a reticence to bring him into the squad for that reason too. So, Sam, you know, Sam, and it is, a, I mean, it is a management issue, isn't it? You've got to manage personalities and blend of personalities within a squad because you've got to go away together for six weeks. But Sam, I, I, I'm only going to say one thing here because Alex, I know you want to, you, you need to come back in. I'm doing way too much talking, but our problem is not what we don't have. Our problem is managing to get a structure that works with what we do have, because what yeah. we do have is some exceptional talent. We have moved light years away from the time when we didn't have that fantasy, that creative spark, that kind of player who can pick a pass. We know we have it because we've seen these players do it in the Premier League for 10 months of the year. So we know we have it. So for me, Madison is not an issue. It's about working with what we have to ensure that we can get an attacking force where there are goals from multiple positions. You've seen it at City, so it can be done. You've seen it at Liverpool. It isn't championship manager, but we do have a front six where we should be now looking to making the opposition more concerned about us than we are of them. Totally agree with you. And that's the point I was making, that actually if you stick with the battalion that you've got, you can work on certain things over the course of the next three months when you get them together. The truth is, is there's not much training time as an international manager. So developing those partnerships with that front six is not easy. So keeping a core group together over a period of 12 months, 18 months, which is what they've essentially done, is a good idea because ultimately then the more they play with each other, the more they are going to understand each other. Crook, you want to come back in? I was just going to say, I mean, I don't disagree with what Darren is, is saying there. There is talent in the squad. I don't think they've shown it in, in these round of matches. And I think you can put it you can put it down to fatigue. And I think actually, again, we'll go right back to Kevin De Bruyne's points about this Nations League being a glorified friendly tournament. I think that's very much the way it's looked for England. There's been a, a lack of effort, a lack of urgency. Let's remember, in normal circumstances, we'd be playing a World Cup now. And I think you'd see a very different level of performance and level of commitment from the England players. So I do think you almost do have to scratch what's gone on. I still think it's important to beat Hungary um, in midweek. And I think it's important to beat them well, just to get the confidence of the general public. Because what we know about Gareth Southgate is he is a manager who divides opinion. And when things are going well, 
the public buy into it, but it doesn't take much for the public to go back to the narrative that he's too cautious uh, as an as an international manager and too defensive. And I think at the moment, the people who say that have got an awful lot of evidence from these three games to use to beat him with. Yeah, I, I, and I, but again, you know, I'll point out the fact that I think it's a very dangerous situation to get into. I know that he's got quite a lot of criticism over the course of the last two weeks, and I actually think that he felt the heat. You saw the headlines generated when he bit back at Gary Lineker, I think it was, uh, on Friday. Um, he says, I won't outstay uh, my welcome. That's a concern for me because I think, you know, having spoken to him over the course of the, the last year, I know there was a period after the Euros where he, he would have thought about quitting and maybe if circumstances were different, he might have walked away after the European Championships. But I think he looked around, he's quite a, a selfless guy. He looked around at the FA and thought, well, I can't just leave them now. There's too much happening over the course of the next year and a half and there's no one really to step into my shoes. And I believe that that's probably still the case now. But I worry that he'll walk away after the World Cup, no matter what happens. I think that that could happen. And if that does happen, Darren, I don't know. I haven't got a clue who would take over. Pochettino? Well, that, that is exactly what was ringing around my head a second ago. He's got no job. He works best with young, hungry players. He's got the respect of everyone within the England squad, including most of all the England captain. Um, and it might just be that he, he he may fancy that job just to re-establish his standing because it seems to have been unfairly for me affected by what happened at PSG. You've got a place crammed to bursting with egos there and every manager that they sack at PSG goes on to win European silverware. Unai Emery, Thomas Tuchel, come on. He's not a bad manager. And I don't think Southgate would walk away knowing that you've got a Pochettino who's likely to come along and do an even better job because you know better than me, Crook. Southampton were one of the most attractive teams in the country to watch when Pochettino was in charge. They had one of the best defensive records, so did Spurs. Outright's best defensive record, then the joint best with Manchester United when he was in charge first couple of full seasons. You obviously had the, the Champions League final they got to. You got the improvement in so many individual players. We saw how they could play in an organised way defensively and in a free-scoring, attacking way offensively, actually Pochettino would be a terrific fit for this England team if Southgate were not to want it. And that's the reason why I don't think he would walk away lightly. And one last thing, I don't want to go too heavy on this because, I mean, I've written about it, we've talked about it before, but for this young, diverse group of players, Southgate is a fantastic manager. He understands the challenges away from the football that are, are, are surround these young players. And I think they wouldn't want him to leave uh, either. I think he's got the full backing of the FA for exactly those reasons, the way he's handled things off the pitch and on it. And that's the reason why I don't see him going. For all the tough talk, he stays. And I think he's got the backing of the players as well, because one of the questions that I posed um, in a WhatsApp group that Sam and I are part of on Saturday night is, are the players bored? of Gareth Southgate that there is always a danger when a manager has been there too long that you start to switch off to one voice I know his coaching staff uh, contribute a lot as well so that's not necessarily uh, the main issue but listening to Harry Maguire's interview on TalkSport after the game that was pretty clear that the England players are fully behind Gareth Southgate 
I do think they'd also be fully behind Pochettino for the reasons that you said. Many would have worked under him. Uh, others will have spoken to players who have been improved by him. I mean, you look at that Southampton team, he got Ricky Lambert into the England squad, he got Nalana into the England squad, he got Nathaniel Klein uh, playing fantastic football. Luke Shaw probably played the best football of his career under Pochettino. So did Deli Ali at Tottenham. So did Danny Rose. He's a terrific training ground manager. If there's one criticism you've had, you would have a Pochettino. Maybe it's his dealings in the transfer market. As an international manager, he wouldn't have to worry about that. We did have one caller uh, on the boot room on Sunday night when I suggested Pochettino might be a good fit, complaining that he's Argentinian, you can't have an Argentine in charge of the England national team. I think we've moved away from that. I don't know if we have. I think uh, the FA themselves are very, very uh, set on having an England manager who is English. I think that, that that's that's common policy now. And I do think that that might be a stumbling block. Can I, I, can I ask you It might something? be different if it was Jose, Wenger, Pep, maybe, because of the, 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 the standing in the game and their longevity in English football. Pochettino possibly as well fits into that category. I'm not sure. Darren, go on. Can I ask you both something? A terrific piece by a colleague of mine, uh, Dave Kidd in The Sun last week, he was saying that is, is Southgate too loyal to some of these players? I know we're talking about his man management and the backing from the players in the dressing room, but Dave in the Sun was saying last week that seven of the 11 that played against Germany had played in the final of the Euros. Uh, sorry, 10 of the 11 um, had played in the final against Italy at the Euros and seven of the 11 had played against Croatia in the World Cup semi-final four years ago. Now, when you talk about the talent that has come through since then, surely we should op be operating with a meritocracy. Uh, and you could say, well, he is doing that because he's, he's being kind to the players that have done well in an England shirt for him. But does that send out the right message if you're trying to evolve the team when players are doing well for 10 months? And he's turning around and saying, yeah, but he did well for me six months ago. Well, I think I sent you uh, a message to I ahead of the Germany game and told you what I thought the starting 11 for the Euro, uh, the World Cup would be. And I think the only players that weren't playing from that 11 that I sent you were the two fullbacks in that game against Germany, which I believe is the first choice 11 and has been the first choice 11 for quite some while. I did a, a preview video uh, a couple of weeks ago for a betting company, in which I said eight of the 11 who started the European Championship final will start the first game of the U uh, the World Cup when it comes around. And I think that's because ultimately, like we were saying before, you know, that was only 18 months ago. These players have formed relationships. He trusts those players to perform. There haven't been too many get-togethers in between time. So you have to use the combination that you've already get because it's very difficult to work on new ones. In terms of when you say what talent has emerged over the course of that period, just going back between 2021, the summer, and right now, who would you replace in that team? Okay, they'd probably replace, you know, James might play at right back and Chilwell might play at left back. The two centre-halves might be Stones and Maguire. Then in front of those, you're going to play Phillips and Rice. Then you'd play, what, Mount, Saka, and then Sterling with Kane up top. How, how would you change that? What, what, what positions would you switch out from that? I think you have to find a role for Bellingham. I think Bellingham offers more dynamism um, than Phillips. I know actually Bellingham probably hasn't excelled in these run of games that we would have hoped no. for, but looking at his performance at Wembley against the Ivory Coast, 
box-to-box midfielder. I think he offers you more as an attacking threat. You, you've got two players there who are very comfortable in terms of attacking the opposition box. So one can sit, the other can go, and that that naturally makes it a less defensive, a less cautious lineup. Apart from that, may, maybe you can make an argument for for Saka. You know, did you play Foden? Did you play Grealish? But apart from that, I think you're probably on point. I think that that will be the eleven. You see, I, I, I agree to a certain extent um, with the changing of the two fullback, fullbacks. I don't think Maguire, on the evidence of the last 10 months, um, justifies his place in the team. So who do you play there instead? I would look at seeing if either uh, Tamori could cope there. I would, You'd I would go into a World Cup with Tamori and Stones as your centre-halves? Well, yeah. Is, is Southgate going to do that? No. no, but you're you're not asking me what Southgate's going to do. You're asking me what I would no. do. And the second thing is this: Maguire, for me, is vulnerable to pace. If you play against a, a, a team that has one quick centre half or two, we are bang in trouble. So you can look at me as oh, I've got two heads. If I mention that there is uncertainty, or there should be uncertainty around Maguire. But he's had a shocking Premier League season. He's done okay in some matches that are basically training exercises. And you think that justifies his inclusion at the highest level of competition in global football? I think I think actually, probably for me, it would be more sensible to play Maguire and Tamori because Stones, I think, is vulnerable to making a mistake and doesn't stay fit often enough. And actually the blend of Maguire and Tamori probably works a little bit better. He reads the game really well, Harry Maguire. He brings the ball out of defence well. Tamori, brilliant in terms of speed and anticipation and great at tackling. So I think that blend might be something that we can work on in the future. Well, look, but it is the weakest part of the lineup, that central defensive area. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I'll just be very brief then. With the fullbacks, yeah, I think that there is competition in both positions. I'm not as pessimistic about the left fullback position because I think that... Uh, I, We'll see a different Luke Shaw next season under Ten Hag and a more organised, disciplined team where the onus will be on him to improve or he'll just get someone else. I think that we have Chilwell, who is fit and will be better next season. Um, I'd like to see maybe Tyrick Mitchell get an opportunity to see if he can cope uh, or if he can make the, the step up. Uh, we have Trippier who can play on that side as well. And if you think about our group games, none of them really, you would argue, would we, would we be the worst off for any of those players playing in those positions? We have pl- genuine quality in the left-back position. Foden, I think, gets into my first 11. So does Saka. Um, Kane obviously starts. Bellingham has to be in there. And we have to not be afraid to dislodge some of the senior players that have done well for us. We, we seem to think it's a heresy to do that, but the bigger nations, I look at Shemaini who's come through for France. Nobody's talking about a French team without him playing in it, despite the fact that Conte, Conte has done so well. Um, there are other players in that France national team who walk straight in. We are the only nation who are wedded to either a certain way of playing, a certain group of players, we are so, so intransigent. And that, if anything, is the reason why other nations are ahead of us because they find different ways to play. They take risks. They, they do operate a meritocracy and we don't. Gareth Southgate isn't a risk-taking manager. Um, so I don't think he's going to stray too far from his loyal lieutenants. I think if we're sat here now, 
he probably know. Listen, I said on, on the boot room on Sunday, he knows 21 of his 23. He probably knows all of his 23, to be honest. Uh, and I don't see too many curveballs from that. Mm. I think his comments on Sancho and Rashford, who I actually felt before he said that, if they played well under Ten Hag, had a chance of getting back into his plans. Those comments have virtually closed the door on that. I think as Sam says, there's a trust issue between Southgate and Rashford. Southgate has a set of players that he trusts. Harry Maguire, whether we like it or not, is one of those. I would be astounded if Harry Maguire doesn't start the first game at the World Cup, unless his form completely falls off a cliff at Manchester United. And I think he'll improve under Ten Hag as well for the reasons you've just said about Luke Shaw. I think he's a guaranteed starter. Uh, Do you know what's funny? It's not funny at all, actually, but I see... Perhaps unfairly, some of the other ex-professionals speak about Harry Maguire and not only Manchester United's decision to buy him, but also England's reliance on him. And that says to me that Harry Maguire has a point to prove to all of them. I don't want to join in with any of that negativity because it's not Maguire's fault how much he costs. And, you know, you can see he's a good, honest professional. So I'm not here to bash Harry Maguire. All I'm saying is if you play him, Generally, you have to play a three because very often he can be caught out for pace. That is fact. So that's, again, not criticising him. That's just stating fact. And when you go into a World Cup, if you are playing against even lesser teams, if they have a quick forward who can get in behind you and take advantage of the fact that you don't smell danger quickly enough, you're in trouble. So it's hard to make that case. Even though you think he's going to start for Southgate, it's hard to make the case justifying it on recent form. Yeah, maybe the case. But as I said beforehand, despite the fact that we can all look at the stats, we can all look at his performances and say, yeah, we agree with you. I still think, as Crook does, he will start him. Uh, Okay, let's move on from England because we probably uh, spent more time talking about it than they have playing over the course of uh, (laughs) the weekend. Uh, Let's move on to some of the transfer news. Hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to work in the channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. The big transfer news this weekend is that Darwin Nunez is going to Liverpool for a record deal in around £85 million when you add it all together. 64 up front to Benfica with 8.5 million of team add-ons and 12 million quid of other add-ons, personal add-ons as well. Um, Liverpool's Portuguese connection is quite strong now. I think Pep Linders sort of started it off with his relationship with Victor Matos at Porto, worked with Michael Edwards and Julian uh, Award on Diogo Jota, Luis Diaz, the boy Carvalho down at Fulham and now Nunez, um, who's come over 
from Portuguese football seems to be a little bit of a silk road for Liverpool this crook yeah, it does and uh, I, I tweeted on Sunday night and it was partly a barb dig at my own club but you have to be impressed with the speed at which Liverpool get deals done we saw it in January uh, with Luis Diaz as soon as news of Tottenham's interest emerged, Liverpool pretty much closed the door on that. And all of a sudden, there he was holding up a Liverpool shirt. It's been the same with Nunez. There was interest from Manchester United. Uh, I'm not convinced he was quite as important to Ten Hag's recruitment policy this summer as, as maybe has been made out in some quarters. But he was a he was an admirer of Nunez. No question about that. Someone he would have liked to have brought to the football club. Liverpool have snuck in there. They've agreed a deal. They've agreed personal terms. It's all happened very quickly. And I think he'll be a brilliant addition. Um, and the reason I think he'll be a brilliant addition is that I know he's been on the radar of several Premier League clubs for a long time now. Brighton tried to sign him two years ago when Benfica uh, plucked him from the Spanish second division, I think it was uh, at the time. So clearly there are more clubs than Liverpool who feel his style is suited to the English game. And you look at the way that Diaz has adapted, probably a player who was less heralded um, than Nunez. And he has taken to the Premier League like a duck to water. You look at Liverpool's recruitment over the years under Michael Edwards, Pretty much every deal they've done has worked out. It's been a seamless transition to, to Julian Ward and he's got this deal done on his watch. So it's a good start to his reign. And you look at Man City buying Holland. I said on Talk Sport, those two clubs are shopping in a different stratosphere. You know, they're going to Harrods. Uh, people like Manchester United are shopping at Sainsbury's because they just can't compete. As soon as Liverpool or Man City come in for a player, they're going to join one of those two football clubs. It's true. Um, we mentioned it the other week. We said that, you know, no longer are Manchester United uh, shopping at Waitrose because they're not. They are, they're in a situation where, where Man if you're a player of an elite value, you are going to go to Manchester City or Liverpool. If you don't manage to get a transfer to one of those two clubs, you might look abroad to Barcelona or Real Madrid. But you're Manchester United, even your Chelsea, and then you're going further down the pecking order. There may be a case that actually some players may turn up at Tottenham this year because they want to play for Antonio Conte. Uh, and that is certainly looking like being the case for Jed Spence, who's going to transfer from Middlesbrough. He was on loan at Nottingham Forest, but he's going to transfer from Middlesbrough to Tottenham, it looks like. And possibly Richarlison as well. Now, I think we spoke about this over the weekend in which, Crook, you said the interest is there for Richarlison, but he's, it's not as close as many people are making out. Um, do you think, though, Darren, that Tottenham have got the... The the, 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 the the bones of a team that could be the closest challengers to Manchester City and Liverpool and actually maybe edge out Chelsea in third place next season? Well, I said that last season, my how they laughed. Um, but now I think a lot of people are coming around to that way of thinking because I just look... I, <laughs> so many times last season, guys, I talked, I gushed really about Antonio Conte. Um and what he had done. And people were saying to me, yeah, but the gap between them and, and Liverpool and City, never going to be able to... You think about the gaps. Darren, they still haven't bridged the gap. They were still quite some way on that. They, they, they did finish fourth. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about the fact that Liverpool came from 25 points off the pace to uh, challenge for the title. Um, 14. Not, <laughs> say again. 14. Again. They didn't come up 25 points off the page. They came up 14, didn't they, at one stage? No, 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 no not in last season. In oh, the season yeah, but they, they, won, well, they didn't they have they? Van Dyke. And you've told us that was the key cornerstone yeah, to everything. Gonna, you're you're, you're going to hurt your 
back moving the goalposts all over the place. Every time you <laughs> make a point to me, I'm addressing it for you. The fact is that it has been done where you can come off a sizable amount of points off the pace to win the league. And when he was at Chelsea, that's exactly what he did. When he was at uh, Juventus, that's what he did. Conti, we're talking about as well. And you look at the players that he's bought. He wants to bring in Brastoni at centre-half. He's already got Perisic in the door. He's going to get Richarlison, uh, who will crawl over broken glass from Everton to go and play Champions League football at Spurs. Uh, if that move breaks down, expect Richarlison to spit his dummy out because he's desperate to go. Chelsea have got work to do, but I do see Spurs being in that mix to challenge for the title next season based on the transfer business that they've done. OK, uh, big week for the IFAB. They're doing their uh, annual meeting in Doha. Uh, I bet that's a hoot. Um, <laughs> the use of uh, <laughs> all referees in one place at the same time. Cracking. Uh, the use of five substitutes um, will be introduced into the laws of the game uh, this week. I've, I've, I've seen, I think I've seen the, the basic ratification of the laws of the game 22-23 and actually... It's already in there, so I think it's going to be done. Um, I don't like five substitutes. I think it basically changes the nature of the game. It disrupts the flow of the match. You're basically changing half the outfield players during the course of a 19-minute match. Is that really necessary? Really? Not entirely sure that it is. I think, actually, you might need to get a little bit smarter with selection. If you've got a massive squad, which you probably have if you're a Premier League football club now, Use it a little bit wiser. You know, do you need to make five changes as a spectacle? I think it damages the product. And I think actually we'll look back on it and think, what a mess that has turned out to be. Um, Look, I think um, the other interesting thing, actually there is one interesting thing about the referees all getting together at the same time. And uh, it is not the fact that they're swapping records with John Moss. It is uh, that uh, on the agenda includes a discussion about the uh, semi-automated offside technology, which was used at the FIFA Club World Cup and the FIFA Arab Cup. It could be in place for the World Cup in Qatar. Now, the way this works is, is that there's 10 dedicated cameras, as well as several television cameras, which collect up to 29 data points for every player, 50 times a second. Uh, we're continuing to test and try to achieve Actually, this is a referee. We are continuing to test and try to achieve the objective to have more accurate decisions and also quicker decisions in offside incidents, says Professor Pierluigi Colina, who you may remember is the sort of angry-looking bald guy who used to referee at World Cup finals, and everyone was very frightened of him. Uh, someone called it robot offside, he said. It's not. No, but it is pretty much um, an automated system which is going to get rid of linesmen. Um, so uh, what, what do we feel about automated offsides, Crook? Um, I've never had a massive problem uh, with the offsides um, and the use of the technology, to be honest. I think when you look at VAR, the offside rule is, apart from the ridiculous decision where assistants are encouraged to leave it as late as possible to flag and, and therefore could risk injury to players, you know, making tackles they don't need to. I think the offside element of VAR has worked pretty well. I don't think that's the big issue. It's the penalty decisions uh, for me that still cause most conjecture. So if they think this will improve it even more, probably in favour. I, I don't have a, a, an obvious problem with it, put it that way. 
Yeah, I think uh, Noah Beck is still getting over the fact that he felt that if uh, his uh, challenge on chunks had gone to VAR, it might have been overturned last night. But uh, that is just the very nature of, uh, of VAR. Can only get involved for clear and obvious errors. Lots of clear and obvious errors for Scotland, who were beaten by Ireland, the side that never won a Nations League game before Saturday. They won by three goals to nil. It was bad from Scotland. One report said the scale of the failure took the breath away. There was one redeeming feature which deepens the confusion. How could so many play so badly at the same time? Maybe their heads weren't in the right place in the first place. Um, How much of the wind was taken out of Scotland's sails from the defeat by Ukraine, Darren? Uh, it, It really did devastate not just stop, but devastate the momentum because they seem to have lost their, their, their desire almost since then. And one or two might take umbrage at that, but you look at the man of the defeat since then and the response of the fans since then, and lots of them say a lot. Now, I saw the press conference uh, after the Ukraine game where a reporter was basically saying to Steve Clark, look, you had a bit of stick. Uh, and Steve Clark didn't want to hear about it. He wasn't even interested. He gave the report a short shrift, um, talked about going to his happy place. Uh, and, and, but you know, Steve Clark's got a happy place. There's no <laughs> way I believe that. That guy's never happy. <laughs> Sorry. I don't think he's been to be happy fair to him, years. To be fair to him, he did smile as he talked about his happy place. Um, I need to see video evidence of that. Too far down that road. But I will say this I think all of, just like England, all of the people who have things to say about Scotland, want the best for Scotland, as Steve Clark does. So if there's an inquest to be had, join in, talk about what went wrong, assess just as those people want to do what you could have done differently. Um, Try to plot a way forward. It seems as though he's basically digging into the trenches and I don't think that's a way forward for the Scotland national team. There's clearly quality there. There's clearly a willingness to work hard in general terms there. But since that Ukraine game, they've they've not shown it. And they need to show it quickly. It's no good coming out, as the players tend to do, and saying, we players back the manager. That means the square root of nothing. The fact is that if you do back him, show it on the pitch. If you can't, he'll lose his job. And that's not what we want. England are worried about their goal-scoring problems. I mean, Scotland have got a dearth of talent in the forward positions, which is their big issue. Talking of players backing the manager, Paddy McNair says Ian Barraclough has the full backing of uh, the Northern Ireland squad, despite the manager facing boos when conducting a post-match interview after Sunday's 2-2 draw with Cyprus. Cyprus were 2-0 up, right? And it was a poor, poor first 60 minutes. But then Paddy McNair scores a goal, and I was watching the game, Northern Ireland then turn into a really good football team. They start popping the ball around, controlling possession, creating chances left, right and centre. It was absolutely clear-cut as day from the minute they scored their first goal, they were going to get a second. Actually, the only sort of concern was whether or not they got a third as well because they were playing so well. And actually, they turned the the sort of tide around in that late, in that second half. But to be 2-0 down to Cyprus in the first place, Take some doing, by the way. And look, they are in risk of relegation from League C to League D. Now, most people who are not Northern Irish are thinking, who cares about that? But actually, right, if you are Northern Ireland, this is a terrible thing and a great thing all at the same time. Terrible, because when you get to the next round of the Nations League, you're going to be playing against San Marino, 
um, Malta, maybe Luxembourg or something Gibraltar. like that. You're going to have very bad fixtures, right? It's going to be bad. It's going to be like bad. But the good news about it is, is you're going to win all of those fixtures and you're very likely to be in a playoff path to get to the European Championships. So actually, it, it, it's sort of two sides of a of a coin. It's 50-50. But I don't know if Ian Barraclough is going to survive after uh, uh, what is now 14 Nations League games without a victory. Yeah, it came at a bad time as well with the Republic finally uh, ending their weight for a win in the competition and, and doing it emphatically against semi-decent opposition as well. I agree with Darren, by the way, when it comes to Scotland. I think they're... There is a hangover um, to that Ukraine defeat, but I think uh, Steve Clark needs to face up to his critics now because quite often when he's been asked serious questions, he's fallen short. The home games at the European Championships were disappointing. They were poor against Ukraine in the World Cup decider, World Cup playoff, and they've been poor so far in the Nations League. But in terms of Northern Ireland, it could be a cunning plan from uh, from Mr. Barraclough, as you say, because, listen, they're not going to qualify for a major tournament via the conventional route because they, they simply don't have the players. You know, the fact their best player is Stephen Davis, probably at the age of 45, um, tells you all you need to know. If they end up in, in Group D in the Nations League, that will give them a, a playoff, as you say. They've probably got no chance of winning it, but it, it at least gives them a, a puncher's chance. I think Northern Ireland, as a nation, have lost faith now with Barraclough. It's a dreadful run of results and... Um, I think his days are numbered. Actually, I think had they not rallied to complete that late comeback, he might have been gone already. Yeah. Uh, Brennan Johnson scored a late equaliser for Belgium on Saturday night. What a goal and what a player. He's had a brilliant season, promotion with Nottingham Forest, and uh, he's now going to the World Cup with Wales. Terrific. And Rob Page is saying at the weekend, there's more to come from this guy. And I believe him. You know, he's only 21 years of age, something like that. And he is uh, an emerging talent. He's going to be a Premier League star, I think, uh, next year. Uh, we did get some news this week of uh, some of the Welsh national football team staff not travelling to the World Cup uh, because of the country's stance on gay rights. The head of the Welsh Football uh, Association, Noel, Noel Mooney, said that the team would use the event as a platform to discuss human rights in Qatar, where homosexuality is illegal. He also asked FIFA and UEFA to think very deeply about their conscience when choosing host nations and all this is because homosexuality is illegal in Qatar and Amnesty has said that women and LGBTQ plus bisexual, trans, intersex, queer or questioning people are continuing to face discrimination in law and in practice. Mark Drayford, who is the first minister of Wales, uh, said that we're absolutely delighted that Wales are going to Qatar, but we should not look the other way from the reservations that we would have as a nation for some of those human rights issues uh, that we see there. Uh, and I think it's a real shame, Darren, actually, that there are people who feel that they cannot go to this World Cup um, because of those reasons. Even more of a real shame that um, the decisions around where to stage World Cups will never be based on the kind of thing that we're discussing here. So for all the pleas that will be made to FIFA to consider what you've just outlined there, FIFA will always do it based on what they see fit. And generally that's governed by politics, finances, the relations that they have with various countries. I was trying to be diplomatic, but that hand signal basically uh, said... Gosh, isn't it? It's all about gosh, it's all about making it's money. About gosh, exactly. And and they, they talk about 
bringing it to new territories. But you know, you, you only have to look at the situation surrounding the migrant workers and the way that they uh, try to shut down debate or try to move the conversation on in relation to that. To know that, you know, as far as FIFA are concerned. They are things to be discussed, but they're very low down the pecking order behind the things that they see as most important. Uh, Spain saw off to Czech Republic in a, a game in uh, Malaga, actually, to move top of their Nations League group. They went uh, above Portugal. Uh, Carlos Soler, who is terrific. I really like him, actually. And I think he might be on the verge of a move, actually. In fact, there was an incident in which the uh, CEO or the chairman of Valencia, I think, got fired because he said something about Carlos Soler, who I think is out of contract. He's trying to hold on to him. And I think, I think there is, there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue there. I think he's on the verge of a big move anyway. Uh, but he, he, he scored. Uh, so did Pablo Sarabia. Spain had 76 pose- possession in this game, but a bit like England, they had just four shots on target. They, their problem, if they've got a problem, it is scoring goals because they don't, they don't finish as many chances as they create, really. Uh, but they are a very good football team. Uh, Erling Haaland uh, continued his prolific international form. Two goals for Norway as they beat Sweden. This guy, this guy, he's going to cause so much trouble in the Premier League. I'm telling you. I don't even know why we're even thinking about competing in this league next season. It's going to be a well, nightmare. Well, actually, as we're sat here, he's just been uh, officially <coughs> unveiled as a Manchester City player as well. Just one or two quotes from him uh, holding up the shirt, signing his contract, sat in a Manchester City shirt. I was born in England, so I've been a Man City fan my whole life. I know a lot about the club. I feel at home here. I've been to a lot of City games. Also, I think I can develop and get the best out of my game at City. So presumably, if they were still playing Gillingham in League One, then uh, Erling Haaland would have made that move anyway because he, he loves the club so much. Well, listen, uh, you can be a bit sarcastic about that and you can laugh at it, but ultimately, you know, there are pictures doing the rounds of him as a toddler in a Man City kit because his dad obviously used to play there. So he will have affection for the club from uh, an early age. So don't dismiss that. You Could have gone to Leeds then. It could have done, but Leeds aren't as good as Manchester City and they don't have Pep Guardiola in charge or millions and millions of pounds swilling around, uh, which will find their way into his coffers in terms of wages. So, uh, listen, good luck to him. I just think he's going to be dangerous. I mean, look, Liverpool and, uh, and City have done brilliant with the transfer business already. Everyone else is lagging behind and that's been the sort of theme of the last couple of years. Who it? scores listen, more goals next season? Holland or Nunez? Holland. Darren? Ooh, that's a question and a half, actually. Because um, it might just decide the destiny of the title. Actually, funny well, they, they both said, scored in the, in the 90s in terms of total of gold without those two players last year. So, like, let's be completely honest about it. They're not exactly lacking for goal uh, contributions. So, you know, look, I think, those two teams are the teams to beat. I think the other end will decide where the title goes. Defences. Uh, because Liverpool had that t- disastrous December where they couldn't keep clean sheets and they couldn't win games for love nor money, and when City were just relentless. Um, so I think it'll be in defence rather than up front. But I think as far as um, the two players, I would probably say I would probably say Haaland because Haaland will probably fill his boots against some of the lesser teams more. Um, than they would against the top teams. Hmm. It'd be interesting to see how Nunez fits in, bearing in mind he's had pretty much one big season in top flight football. He's still young. Yeah. So adapting to, uh, 
I mean, listen, the Portuguese people I speak to have, have said that he is great and he's going to be superb, but the transition is going to be interesting. Most Portuguese players do come across quite easy. He's Uruguayan, so he's up for it and he's he's quite physical and he's got a bit about him. And Luis Suarez, when he was at Almeria, was like, pick this guy up. He is great. And now Liverpool have. Look, boys, thank you very much. Uh, this is one of those podcasts that you think, well, how on earth are we going to get through uh, an, an hour talking just about England? But we, we seem to have gone on and on and on and on. And it wasn't just Darren. I mean, it was mainly Darren, but it, it, was, it wasn't just Darren. <laughs> Thank you very much. We love you, Darren. I love myself too. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to go and get some Alka-Seltzer and uh, get some more breakfast and maybe I can uh, sober up before lunchtime. Crook, have a good one. I will. Thank you very much. We'll see you on Thursday. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.